Our Old Testament lesson is found in 1 Kings 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat, under, sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. For the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that day, 40 days and 40 nights, to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I... Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in, piece, broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and they've killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what, I have, done, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yoke of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. 
Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do give you thanks for your word. For in it we hear your voice. You speak to us and you open our eyes. And we ask that you would speak this morning. That you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in this portion of your scriptures. Show us Jesus this morning. In whose name we pray. Amen. There was once a little boy who was no older than maybe six or seven. Not my son. I'm not telling stories on my children. Uh, He's not yet six. So the little boy was no more than six or seven. And he had had a rough few days at school. We all know what that's like. We remember those days when we were in school, had a rough couple of days. So on his way home, he sat by himself in the back of the school bus, keeping to himself, waiting for his stop so he could go up to his room and he could be alone there. And his mother was waiting there. She was waiting for him by the house to welcome him home, just as she had done since the day he started going to school. She would wait on the porch, waiting for him to arrive, welcome him home. But this day... She could tell there was something wrong, right? We all know what that looks like, that face, right, the just I'm done face. If you haven't had it, you, you're probably lying, and you've probably seen your children have it as well. Just I'm done. Now, there are two options in that moment, right? We can either engage or we can let sleeping dogs lie, right? We can let it lie and move on. But there are about 27 possible reactions to whichever one of those two options we choose, right? We know there are a host of reactions that our children could give to us. And this mother on this particular day weighed all of her options, and she decided to engage, asked a really loving, gentle question, a normal question that loving mothers ask, hi, honey, how are you? How was your day? It It was the wrong response. She chose the wrong option. This kid was having none of it. He walked up the steps to his front porch. He dropped his backpack right there with all of its books and belongings. And he looks at his mom with this like, how dare you ask me a question face? How dare you? And he says, mom, mom, I just need a break, okay? I need you to give me some space and to not ask me any questions for a little while, okay? Give me some space, mom. I just need a break. And then he leaves, and he walks into his house, goes into his room for his break. This kid's had enough. Right? It's not an appropriate response, but it's an understandable response. Right? He's had a few hard days. He's probably hungry. Right? We all know how we get when we're hungry, get a little hangry. He's upset. He's tired. He's fed up with life, and he needs a break. Have you ever felt that? I just need a break. Don't ask me any questions. I just need a break. Leave me alone. I need to go go be by myself. You're just tired. You're hungry. You're fed up with life. Elijah is fed up too. He literally says, it's enough. It's enough. I'm done. Wash my hands. I'm done. I've had enough. And at first, we're kind of caught off guard. We're we're, we're caught off guard by his response, kind of like the mom was caught off guard by her son's response. We're not expecting Elijah to 
run away and to mope like a whiny two-year-old. He's had great success. His great success as a prophet. At his word, what happened? The rain ceased, and God fed him with ravens. And he ate and he, he ate and he drank from the brook until that brook ran dry. And then he went and God told him to find a widow, and she fed him with the little flour and the oil that she had. And that flour and oil miraculously never ran out. And then that woman's son dies, and Elijah asks God to give him his life back, and God does so. And if those miracles weren't enough, Elijah shamed Baal in public, right, and slaughtered 450 prophets, like profound amounts of success. And we're expecting, after these miracles, we're expecting Elijah just to bask in the glory, right? He's done awesome things. He's done wonderful things for the Lord. But that's not what we see. He is not the champion that walks around in glory. Instead, we see a tired and broken prophet. A man of God who crumbles under the pressure of life. Like that six, seven-year-old boy, it's enough. I'm done. I need a break. And he runs off. When confronted with the pressure of Jezebel's threats, instead of trusting God to continue to prove himself faithful, Elijah arose and he ran for his life. He finds a broom tree there and he asks for death. He begs God to take away his life there in the wilderness. Y'all, when we've had enough, just like Elijah, we want to run. We want to escape. We want to get out as quickly as possible because we feel the weight of that pressure. When we feel the weight of life weighing on us, just like Elijah, we rise and we run. We run to all sorts of things. We run to screens in order to check out, spending countless hours on our phone. Have you ever like tracked that screen time app, right? You don't want to. We do it to check out. We run to substances to, to, to numb our pain. We run to habits to soothe and to find comfort. All types of things. What is it for you? What do you run to? What is your escape when you feel the pressure of life? Here in 1 Kings 19, we learn, though, that instead of inviting us to escape, God invites us to trust. He invites us to believe, to entrust ourselves to him. Through a still, small voice, he invites scared children like you and like me to entrust ourselves to a gracious father. And this invitation to trust takes three forms in 1 Kings 19. Look, listen, and lean. So we're going to look at those three L's. Look, listen, and lean. First, he invites us to look for his provision. Look with me at verses 5 to 8. After he sits down under the broom tree, asks for death, he lay down and slept under a tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. Instead of death, God gives Elijah things to fuel his life. We might expect the angel of the Lord to thunder from heaven, right? To be this terrifying figure, to put Elijah in his place. 
And if not that, at least pour cold water on his face, right? Wake him up from his self-pity. But instead, the angel bakes food. He makes him a cake. I'm not like a birthday cake, but like we're to th- he makes him bread on hot stones. And he says to him, arise and eat. So Elijah does what he's, t- what he's told. And he gets up and he eats. But then he falls back asleep because guess what? He's tired. He just slaughtered 450 prophets of Baal. That's hard work. So he's tired. He goes back to sleep. Then the angel comes a second time and he touches him gently. Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. The angel attends to his needs. And this provision of bread and water, of food and water, it's not just this momentary gift to keep Elijah from dying, right? Because, I mean, you go long enough sitting under a broom tree in the desert, you're going to die. It's not just to save his life for a few more days. It serves two purposes. The first is to jog his memory, right? The bread and the water are physical reminders there to help him remember how God has provided for him in the, in, in the past. In chapter 7, we've seen him be fed with a raven and drink water from a brook. He's fed in the house of a widow with bread and with water. Through these visceral signs, God invites Elijah's memory to remember, invites him to remember the ways God has already provided for him before. And then the second purpose is to sustain him, to sustain him on a future journey He feeds him a second time, for the journey is too great for you. Elijah thought his pilgrimage was over. He thought his journey was coming to its end, that he had done all the things that he could do as a prophet. But rather than allowing Elijah to escape, God uses his flight to take him on a 40-day and 40-night journey into the wilderness to where it all began, to Horeb. Horeb is just another name for Mount Sinai. He's complaining about all the people of Israel, but he's going to the place where Israel began. The place where they were constituted as a nation. And the only way he's going to make it on that journey is that God's going to sustain him. He arises, he eats, and he goes in the strength of that food. Forty days and forty nights to Horeb. God sustains him. There was another who would later take his own forty day and forty night journey into the wilderness but instead of being attended to by angels Jesus was attended to by the evil one he was tempted and he defeated evil in that moment he overcame the evil one and it was only after he did that that the angels then came and ministered to him and it's because of that son's obedience Jesus' obedience on your behalf and on mine, that God then provides for us. He provides for you and for me in the various wildernesses of our lives. And he gives us visceral signs, literally bread and cup. He gives us signs to sustain us, to sustain our faith. Bread and cup and water. Visceral elements Not just to jog our memory, but to sustain our faith. And he gives us Jesus as we come to him in faith. 
So when he tells you to arise and to eat, get up. Get up and eat. Believe. Trust. Look for the various ways God's provided for your needs. Maybe a friend, maybe the elements, maybe your time in Scripture and God's Word as you engage Jesus. Jesus is there, and he will sustain you. Look for his provision. Get up and eat. Then secondly, God invites us in verses 9 to 14 to listen to his voice. When Elijah sets, uh, he, when he gets to Sinai, he, he finds a cave and he stays in it. He lodges there and God's word comes to him. And he asks him a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now we might be tempted to think that this is God's rebuke. Like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be here. Get up and go away. That's not it's not what God is doing there. It's more akin to, uh, to, the, to the question that God asks Adam in the garden. Where are you? The question that Jesus asks to Peter after his resurrection. Do you love me? Three times. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? You know that I love you. What are you doing here, Elijah? It's an opportunity for Elijah to confess his condition. Just as Adam did not take that opportunity, Peter did. God is offering him an opportunity to confess his condition, to be honest. And he takes that opportunity. He says, I'm the only one left. Nobody's nobody's left. I'm the only one. I'm alone. Everybody's forsaken you except me. I'm alone. But in speaking, God also offers a contradiction to Elijah's condition. He thinks he's alone. He's the only one left who hasn't bowed to the Baal. He believes that the power of God hasn't convinced a single soul in Israel that, that Yahweh is the true God. So instead of rebuking him, God allows Elijah to air his grievance, and then he puts on a show. Right? Like, what a crazy show. He says, go out. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. He's going to put a, on a show for Elijah. Just as he had done for Moses hundreds of years before. At that, at that very same mountain, he reveals himself. But he doesn't do it through fire or earthquake or wind. God's not in the wind. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the fire like we would expect. If he wanted to, he could be. But where is he? He's in the still, small voice. The sound of a low whisper. Now, if he wanted, God certainly could have been present in the whirlwind. He certainly could be present in the earthquake. He certainly could be present even in the fire. But he's not. He displays himself in weakness, in the sound of a low whisper. He speaks in weakness, in the ordinary small moments. And he does so to remind you and to remind me that you're not alone. That you are not alone in your weakness. The still small voice of the Lord is there. He is there to sustain you. He's there to support you. He will not leave you alone. 
It's a contradiction, right, to Elijah's claim. I'm the only one left. I'm alone. You're not. And you're not alone either. You're not alone when you have cancer. You're not alone in the physical weaknesses of life. You're not alone when life is dark. You're not alone when you send your kids off to college and they don't call you as much as you want them to. You're not alone when you lose your job. God is there in that still, small voice. He won't leave you in your weakness because he knows what it's like to be weak. The voice of God became flesh. The word of God literally took on your your physicality. He entered into human history, taking on flesh, didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but took the form of a servant, and he speaks. And he tells you you're not alone. And by speaking in his word, he invites us to stop listening to the chaos of our circumstances and to start listening to him, to that contradictory voice that tells us to stop listening to those conditions Listen to God. He's present. He's there with you. He knows what it's like, and he won't leave you alone. He will not leave you or forsake you. So listen to his voice. And then lastly, God invites us to lean on his promises. Verse 15 begins God's kind of recommissioning of Elijah. He says, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael uh, to be king of Syria. And he goes on to talk about the other various uh, men that he's gonna uh, that he's gonna anoint and similar to the way Jesus recommissions Peter Elijah is recommissioned for a new task he gives him promises that are attached to this task he tells him to go to Damascus to the far north of Israel where he had run away from and when he gets there he's supposed to anoint three men these are unusual guys Hazael of Syria, right? He's supposed to anoint the king of Syria. They're they're not friends, just FYI. Israel and Syria, not not friends. Jehu of Israel is going to be the next king. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, is going to be an Israelite prophet. And we're told that these three men would execute judgment. God promises to do two things through this, to execute judgment and to extend mercy. So he uses these three men, Hazael, Jehu, and Elisha, to execute judgment. And we actually see this come to fruition later in 2 Kings 9 and 10. Hazael begins, it says, to cut off part of Israel, the king of Syria. And, And Jehu executes Jezebel. And after he's made king of Israel, he deals with all of Uh, of Ahab's descendants. He cleanses. He executes judgment. If if, If they escape the first, the sword of the second and the third will be his judgment. But then God promises not just judgment, but mercy. He says that uh, in verse 18... I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not confessed or that has not kissed him. He mercifully promises to leave a remnant in Israel, a faithful people, 7,000 
who have not bowed, who have not kissed the false prophet. These are who God would sustain his people with. This is his remnant, his merciful promise to his people. So we might be tempted, though, to shudder at the possibility that judgment and mercy could be two sides of the same coin. But with God, you actually can't have one without the other. Because God is full of grace, in order to extend his mercy, he also has to extend judgment to a sinful people. In order to have mercy, you have to have judgment. But the beauty of the gospel is that God doesn't, he doesn't execute his judgment on us. He doesn't ex- execute judgment on you. But he extends his mercy to you because of his son, Jesus. Jesus on the cross drank up the, the cup of God's wrath for you and for me so that God could then extend mercy, keep a faithful remnant for himself, maintain a people for himself. And he invites us, just as he invited Elijah to entrust ourselves to him, to believe his promises, to lean into those promises. Now, do we actually see Elijah doing what he's told? No, we don't. We don't see him leaning into God's promises. We hear nothing of him anointing these kings. And even his anointing of Elisha, like he took his, his jacket off and he threw it on him. But we have a better prophet who was obedient to God. Jesus was far more obedient than Elijah. And by drinking up the cup of God's wrath in obedience, he gives you his obedient righteousness. He gives you the mercy of God. So you can trust his promises. You can lean into them because they are yes and they are amen in Jesus. In the Lord of the Rings, uh, Frodo Baggins leaves the Shire and he leaves with a traveling companion, right? He's not alone. He leaves with Samwise Gamgee. And when he left, he had no idea. He he couldn't even imagine how instrumental Samwise Gamgee was going to be in his survival, right? In the success of his journey. Each time Frodo would grow despondent, sorrowful, frustrated, Sam was there. He was there to sustain him, literally sometimes carrying him. He would carry him on his back, offering to sustain him. Sam would also provide help. He was a quiet voice, offering comfort in Frodo's weakness. He reminded Frodo of the Shire. But he was also one who reminded him of the promise of what would happen if the darkness was destroyed. The quiet life that they would go back to in the Shire would be restored. There would be no more darkness. No more darkness, no more sadness, no more tears. It will be as it always should have been. He constantly reminded him of the promise of a restored Middle Earth. And all Frodo had to do was entrust himself to his friend Sam. And that's what we see throughout the story, is literally Sam carrying his friend sustaining him. And just like Samwise the Brave, 
friends, Jesus is present on our journeys of faith. As we enter into the pilgrimage, as we walk through the wildernesses of life, he is present there. He is there with you, there to provide for your needs as you grow weary. And he's there to be the voice of God to comfort you in your distress and to contradict all the crazy, chaotic circumstances of your life. And he's also the fulfillment of all God's promises. They are all yes and they are all amen in Jesus. And so entrust yourselves to him. Look for his provision, for all the ways that he takes care of you. Listen to his voice and lean on his promise. And say with our psalmist today, God is for me and he is for you in Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty God, we confess that we are weary, that there are seasons in life when we've just had enough. We are tired. We're broken like Elijah. And we ask for your grace. Would you speak to us, sustain us, strengthen us in Jesus? Help us to trust you. Give us your spirit who will lead us into truth and who will give us Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.